Alrighty, we are back for uh, Operation Brewery Season 3, Episode Number 3. This episode, I've got uh, Hendo on who's going to talk to us about quality. Before I do that, though, I just wanted to talk through a couple of things. First off, I hope you guys are enjoying the new season of the podcast. It's been a while since we've been on the mic and, and I'm getting some nice comments from people. But if you are enjoying it, please leave us a review in iTunes. That helps us a lot. And just let us know you listened. Uh, we've got a, a fairly active community in the Black Ops Ambassador Facebook group. So that's a good good place to do it. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. I've still got seven episodes to record for this season, so I really love to have your input. And a lot of the questions I asked Jamie Cook were ones that came about in the group. So please get in there and be active in those conversations. Um, the other thing I want to say very quickly was I'm really keen for other pod- other podcasts to be put out by breweries. And Revel have just put a podcast out. So if you're if you're a podcast listener wanting to learn more about the industry and hear from breweries directly, then check that one out. And any other brewery or you know potential brewery looking to start a podcast, I just thought I would offer any help you need. Send me an email, dan at blackops.com.au or hit me up in the ambassador groups. Any question you have about any of this stuff, please let me know because I would love to see more podcasts where the breweries are talking to the, the listeners directly. I think there's a huge opportunity for that. And I, I always like listening to brewer stories direct from the, from the brewers themselves. So yeah, any help you want with any of that stuff, please let me know if it's technical stuff with microphones or the audio editing or lining up guests or any of that stuff, please let me know and I would be very, very happy to help you out. Second thing uh, this week is the beer cartel survey is currently open. This is a survey that I've followed for a long time, well before we had a brewery. And I think it's a really great thing for the industry. I love seeing the numbers that come out of those and just seeing like where people are at with things like bottles versus cans and limited releases versus core range beers and you know what breweries brands are resonating with people what what their favorite podcasts are what their favorite facebook groups are all of that stuff is super interesting to me as someone in marketing but also just just interesting as a bit of a pulse for the industry so if you are a craft beer drinker please fill that survey in um just head to beer cartel and fill it in i think you go in the draw to win a bunch of beer as well which is which is a nice bonus so let's get to today's topic Obviously, our, our brewery is going through a fair bit of growth and, and going from a small local brewery to one that is stocked in some major retailers and hundreds of bottle shops and bars, it's it's a really, really big transition for us. And there's a lot of challenges associated with that. And we'll, we'll get to most of those throughout this podcast, but there's probably none bigger than this issue of quality, making sure that the beer that we drink, which is always, you know, the freshest beer that we can possibly get from the brewery is, is a, we have the same experience as our customers have. And once you delegate the responsibility to give that, that beer to the customer, then it becomes much, much trickier. You, you need to be thinking about things like shelf life and, you know, think about best before dates and lab testing and all sorts of things that you wouldn't really think about if you're just, you know, just starting a brewery. And, um, Hendo is a guy I looked up to for many years before we had a brewery. I, I saw him as a bit of a god in the industry, um, and I still do. I think he's an absolute legend, and I'm privileged to call him a friend these days. But he, he's been really good with Black Ops, um, helping us with just just some of the procedures around quality, just getting a bit more uh, rigor in terms of quality manage, management procedures and things like that. Uh, doing sensory training for staff, all those sort of things that really help everyone in the company to understand the importance of quality. Govzi has been doing a huge amount of work in this area for Black Ops, especially once we upgraded to the second brewery because there's just so much more demand placed on him and the brew team now, knowing that the beer is just going far and wide and um, being brewed at such a large scale. So Govzi has been doing a huge amount on this and it may make sense for me to get him back again to talk on this topic as well. But for the time being, I've got Hendo on. He's got a, a startup called Rockstar Brewer where he helps breweries with this kind of stuff. And so we talked through a few of the various things he's working with companies, including Black Ops, on. Um, and I hope you guys enjoy this chat. All right, Hendo, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to be back. Series three, is it? It is. It's been a while. Do you, do you know how long it's been since we did the last podcast? Since series two? No. I, I checked it before I did this and it was over two years. Wow. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> Holy it's, moly. It's good to be back. It is good to be back. Um, this this podcast series is dedicated to the topic of growth, and so it's some of the episodes are talking to brewery founders about things they're struggling with, um, or things they struggled with when they were growing. Um, 
but some of the episodes are just talking about the sort of things that breweries should be thinking about if they're thinking of going down this path of, I guess, brewing, uh, you know, going from a brew pub to an actual brewery brand. Yep. Um, yep. I mean, quality is one of those things you kind of need to be thinking about regardless. But when you go to that next level, it really does become a huge part of your life. Yeah, exactly. Do you remember the conversation we had when, after you'd won the um, champion small brewery at the AIBAs a couple of years? That was a couple of years ago. And yeah. um, the conversation that we had. It was last year. Was that last year? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So after that, we sort of, we sat down and, and I said, great, congratulations. You know, you won champion small brewery and, and that's a really big milestone. Um, and, and, and I said, right, from here on in though, you, you, your volume's growing and you're going to go into that sort of medium-sized tier in a competition like the ARBAs or the Indies or something like that. And you're going to have to level up, yeah. you know, and, and, and it was good because, you know, Gubsy in particular, you know, and uh, we, we sort of took stock as to where things were at and how the beers got to as good as what they were at that point. And I said, the next challenge for you is going to that middle tier where you are going to be making a significantly much higher volume of beer, but having to maintain that quality. Right. And it's also the, it's where the beer ends up as well. It's not just making the beer, you know, selling most of it at the tap room, a little bit of package at the tap no, room, it's right. consumed within a week or two. The, the challenges are huge and the complexity is, is, is the, uh, of the distribution is much more complex as well because, you know, now Black Hops is being um, distributed interstate and so you've got the, the challenges of all that downstream stuff of making sure that the beer is looked after yeah. um, when it goes interstate and goes further afield from the brewery itself. Um, which is a totally different scenario to just selling beer in the in your tap room. Yeah, yeah, and I should say or, that you, you've been helping us with, I guess this this topic of quality. Um, what? Let's start with what does quality mean in terms of brewing? Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. So, um, for me, beer quality means having a product that is um, that is two things. Um, it's supposed to be. Uh, fit for use and that's basically all of the technical numbers and that sort of thing related to how a beer is supposed to be from a mostly a chemical um, perspective uh, and then it needs to be true to brand and that that's really a um, uh, a term that we use um, in brewing to say is our beer the way you know is every single batch of beer that we make the way in which Govzi wanted it to be made and is it consistently made because you know for example um, you know, probably one of your biggest selling beers would be Black Hops Pale. Mm. And so your consumers out there have an expectation of what Black Hops Pale is supposed to look, smell and taste like. And if, for instance, if you weren't on top of making sure that the product was consistent, then you're going to break that trust bond between the brewer and the consumer. Yeah. You know, and the analogy that I like to use is um, I like fruit cup cordial. Right? And I go to the supermarket and I go to the cordial aisle in the supermarket and there's a certain brand of fruit cup cordial that I like and I know it. I know the color that it looks like. I know how much I have to put in my glass to make it taste the way that I want it to taste. Mm. But imagine if I went into the supermarket that one day and the color was a little bit paler and I needed to use a little, you know, significantly more to get the flavor that I like in that fruit cup cordial. Changes, I, chances, the, experience. changes the experience and chances are that my relationship with that particular brand is going to be damaged. Yeah. And and I no longer trust that brand to deliver on the consistency that I've become used to. Right. I buy that brand over and over again because I know what I'm going to get. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that def I've got another analogy for you actually with in yeah. terms of that definition of quality. Um my son came home from school the other day and he said someone in his class did a presentation on McDonald's. And he just went through all the things that was bad about McDonald's and saying they were bad quality and all of this. And, you know, I said, McDonald's can't possibly be bad quality because you would not build a brand that exists across the whole world by being bad quality. Just because something is not to your taste, it doesn't mean it's bad that's, quality. That's right. Uh, there's a, and there's a different thing, you know, with regards to that. So I view uh, beer in two aspects. So quality 
uh, in terms of how well it's made and value as to your the consumer's actual perception of it. Yeah. And so if you take a beer, any mainstream lager, you know, like Carlton Draft or VB or Forex Gold or whatever, I consider them to be really high quality beers. Right. I remember when early but, on you you were saying this to yeah. me. It was like, well, these, you know, do you think these are good quality beers? Like as a drinker. You don't think quality when you think those beers. Yeah, but you they're think bloody flavor. well made, though. Yeah. That's the thing. They so taste exactly the same every single right. time. Have you ever had a bad Forks Gold? All of them, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean one that's like, you know. That's right. Take, take, yeah. take, take the typical faults that you might get in, in, in a craft beer. Have you ever had a, a, a diacetyl bomb Forks Gold? No. No, never. They know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh. that, and that's really, and that's the journey that, that, that all breweries as they grow are on. You're not, there's no... You, you shouldn't. No brewer should put the expectation on themselves that they're, you know, the very next day going to make their beers with the high level of consistency and quality of any mainstream beer. But what it's about in in is it's a journey of continuous improvement. And as long as any brewer who's out there who's growing their business, growing the volume, um, making their beer consistency, and is attentive to their process and their quality control and their procedures. You're going to be on this journey of continuous improvement. And as, as, as long as you've got your eye on the ball with regards to that, it doesn't matter how steep that continuous improvement curve is. As long as the next batch of beer that you make is better than the last batch of beer you made, yeah. you're in the right, you're, 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 you're bang on. Right. And, and when you say better, again, we're, we're not necessarily talking about more flavor. It might just be more more to the specifications yeah. or, or to the brand. Yeah, absolutely. Set. Yep. Yep. Um, let's spend a bit of time on, on why quality is important. And I guess the... The starting point for that is what what can go wrong with beer. Yeah, look, um, the you know in a, a a clean brewery like Black Ops where there's no barrels and wild buggers and all that sort of thing, um, it really is the, the the actual process of making beer, no matter what the beer generally is, is pretty much the same. Yeah, you know, you you get raw materials, you mash it, you 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 boil it, you add hops, you make wort. Then you you know you cool it down, add yeast, um, ferment it, um, trans transfer it to a bright tank, carbonate it, and put it in a pack keg or a can or a bottle, and and that's the end of it. You know the difference between a lot of the different beers in any brewery's lineup is really just the raw materials change, and um, and so the good part of that is that because the process broadly remains the consistent across different styles of beer um you know a brewer has the opportunity to really uh, grow their skills and make things repeatable and yep. that's probably the first thing that you know aspect that i would talk about in a quality beer is repeatability and consistency um it comes back to that trust relationship that you mm. have with the consumer um but if you're going to have say a core range of four five six beers and that sort of thing they're the beers that your consumers know and love because you're making them all year round and when they think of you know, think of black hops, you know, they think about the beers that they know and love in that lineup. They don't have to like them all. That's a value proposition. Yeah. But those beers have to be made consistently. And that's that's the first part around right. quality. But what's the worst thing that can happen? Like, I mean, if you think of, you know, uh, food brands that go bad, you know, people people can get sick, people can yeah. die. Like, like what's, what's the worst thing that can happen in beer? I mean, we, we've heard stories of cans exploding. That's mm, a safety, mm. safety thing. It can, can beer make people sick well we're pretty lucky because um beer being an alcoholic beverage uh no pathogens can really live in it but as long as the beer is sort of around above you know 2.83 percent alcohol and eight ibus and you know a sub sort of four ph and that sort of thing no pathogens can actually live in it right and so in that respect we're different from food manufacturers because we've really got the training wheels on, you know. We can't actually make people sick. As long as we're just making beer, we're doing okay. Right. But um, but the worst thing that can happen is the beer tastes like shit. Mm. And that's that's more, you know, even though we can't make people sick, we have the potential to injure people, like you said, with, with exploding, um, you know, cans and, and bottles and that sort of thing. That's probably the worst that can really happen. You can have things like you know, contamination with cleaning chemicals yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, that's a possibility, but um, but the actual just making of beer in general is right. pretty food safe. Assuming you're putting beer into the 
package. Assuming you, everything's going right and you're just making beer, then you you know you, you can't really make people sick. Right. But Can I ask a related question to that? Not yeah. so much to do with Black Ops or brewing beer, but th- there seems to be a bit of a trend towards, or at least a lot more people are talking about non-alcoholic yes. drinks now. Yes. Um, do you think there's a risk there? with Because with, you don't really have that. Yes, yes. I can't see a craft brewer i mean i i recognize there is a growing trend of non-alcoholic beer and that sort of thing and there's lots of ways that you can make non-alcoholic beer you can make a beer and dealkalize it or mm. there's certain yeast varieties that that are for not uh, zero alcohol beer right i would challenge a craft brewer who wanted to go down the path of making a beer that was below 2.8 percent alcohol um, because that's when pathogens can start to survive. Mm. Um, and if you're not undertaking some sort of downstream process like pasteurization or something like that, then it's probably something that you'd want to steer clear of because yeah, then right. you can actually make people sick. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, well, mm. th- there seems to be a... Um, these beers are... Uh, well, beers, I haven't tried them, but but they're calling them beers and they're coming onto the market. Mm. And, I, and I'm not sure... Yeah. They're necessarily made Well, in those ones that, that are made that. by the mainstream beer well, brands yeah. and that sort of thing, like they're going to be pasteurized right. and they're going to be tested rigorously in their multi-million dollar labs yes. to make sure there's no pathogens in them and that sort of thing. And I, I trust those products 100%. Yeah. That's not really a problem. But I, what I'm talking about is, you know, a craft brewer, a small brewer, a brew pub and that sort of thing going, hey, we're going to make a, you know, a zero alcohol beer. You know, I'm like, uh, hang on a second. You know, let's uh, let's have this conversation and and yeah. and that sort of thing. And lots of people just don't know where that lower limit of where ethanol in beer becomes that protection against pathogens. Yeah, well, two point eight. There'd be some light craft beers on the market that are under two point eight. Indeed, yeah, yeah, there are. We don't do one. I know Bacchus. I think Bacchus yeah, do one. It's half a percent. It's a, it's a it's a combination of um, uh, alcohol. Uh, IBUs because hops are a, um, a, a antimicrobial, right? Uh, and also the the beer pH. So mm. the lower the pH, the 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 less um, probability of pathogens being able to live in the product. Right. So unrelated, but we've also learned that some of our low, low alcohol beers have a tendency to freeze. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know why though? I assume the alcohol does something to. Was the freezing point of ethanol is lower than that right. of water? So if you have something with, like beer can get down to minus one, minus mm. one and a half degrees easily and not freeze. Yep. But if it's a low alcohol beer, yes, it will freeze. Yeah, we've it's had problems with, when we did some, I think 3% was the lowest we did. Our lowest at the moment, three and a half, but three and a half seems to have been fine. But with 3% beer, we've had some kegs freeze. Yeah, right. Or all the lines freeze. Yeah. We've got lots of science going on here today. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> well, it would have be, been good to know this stuff before we launched yeah. the 3% beer. Um. All right, so you're um, helping Black Ops with our quality program. Yes. What What are the sorts of things that um, should be included in the quality program? We're, well, we you and I we're working on three different things at the moment. Um, the The first part is um, the implementation of the Beer Thirty Brewery Management uh, System. So that's really a piece of software that gives Govs the ability now that he's got a growing team for them to be able to do their job put data into this system so that he can actually check to make sure that everything's on spec and that quality is being maintained. Yeah. That does all of the production planning and, you know, integrates the accounting system and all that sort of stuff. And that's it's great. It's been, been great. Um, and um, was easy to implement. And, mm. and I was literally just up at, at, at Black Ops 2 just now. And, and you know, Gareth's on the floor, they're using it and he's got his tablet and it's so cool to, to see that. And he's yeah. doing charts and of gravities. It's really, really awesome. We've got so much data in there now. Too, yeah, which we didn't and, have and, and the more data you collect over the time, the richer you get. It's like it's real business intelligence, you know, because before I was a brewer, I did IT. Mm. And so I'm a nut for all this sort of thing. Um, and so that's that's really good and that's ongoing. It's only early days with Beer 30. Um, the second part is... Um, uh, is uh, the quality manual. And so the quality manual is every brewery, when they get to a certain point in size, needs to write a manual with all of the systems that says this is how we um, maintain quality within the brewery. And it's a little bit dry and it's a little bit boring and we've been working on this for a few months now, but it's really important because it covers off things like... Um, 
what's your complaints policy? What happens mm. when somebody makes a complaint about the beer? What's the process that goes through there? Who gets notified? How do we deal with the customer? Um, rather than that sort of, we don't have a plan, we get all defensive, you know, oh, there's nothing wrong with our beer or yeah. that. You just, you know, you, that's not great customer service. So things like, uh, you know, a customer complaints policy, um, a lab policy, um, you know, we ha- you have a product recall policy. I mean, no one ever wants to recall product from the market, but as food manufacturers, as we are with brewers, sometimes things go wrong and you've mm. got to have a plan for that, especially if you're going to be in the major supermarkets, um, you know, a- a- as you guys have grown into yeah. over the last couple of years because the major supermarkets really don't like recalling product at all so if you want to be in a dan's or a bws or a liquor land that sort of thing um you've really got to have a quality manual um in that sort of says here's how we maintain quality in our brewery yeah yeah um and the third part is the sensory stuff is third part is sensory yeah so um you know every brewery has a lab um and and a lab's just not not just looking at things under the microscope. You know, you have a microbiological lab, you have a chemical lab. So when you do things like test alcohol and IBUs and uh, colour and haze and that sort of thing. Um, And then you have microbiology where you're looking at microorganisms, spoilage bacteria and stuff like that. Uh, And then you have your uh, raw raw materials and packaging lab. So actually testing things like can seams, the glue on cartons, yep. uh, making sure you know lids. Uh, sorry, uh, screw cu- screw caps are the right torque on a bottle and all that sort of stuff. Uh, that the malt comes in and that it's on spec and it doesn't have pests in it and all that sort of thing. And the last part is uh, the uh, sensory lab, and the sensory lab is what we've been working on for a couple of months now. And I've literally just come from a session up at Black Ops too, and it's really starting to hit its strides now. So what we do in the sensory lab is we write down the true-to-brand specification of all of the beers that Black Hops make. And basically, we take a beer and we write down words of what it's supposed to look like, what it's supposed to smell like, and what it's supposed to taste like, and what the body, mouth, feel, and bitterness is supposed to be. And we have that written down, and Govzy signed off on that, right? So Because he's the owner of the brand. He's the custodian of those liquids, right? And... Um, and so what we're doing now is we're actually training all the staff and it's not just brewers. We've got some of the brewers, we've got bar staff, you know, we've got the office staff in there and everybody's learning how to smell and taste beer. And what we're doing is we're introducing those panelists, as they're called, to a very small subset of very common beer faults and flavour characteristics. Yeah. And we're learning about them and they're guessing and, and learning what they smell like and taste like. Um, and today's session went really well. And the next step from there is we're going to actually do what's called true-to-brand testing. So we'll bring some beer either out of the tank just before it gets packaged, or it might be beer that's in pack and might be fair way down its, you know, fair, a fair run towards its best before date. Um, and we're going to have a beer, some w- the words that, that, that Govzi's written that describe the beer, mm-hmm. and the panelists are actually going to give the beer a score, just like a beer judge does. And to do that regularly um, creates a lot of positive benefits. Firstly, the staff get to know when something isn't quite right with the beer. And they're the, they're, they're the front line, especially bar staff, yep. you know, um, and sales staff. And sales, yeah. yeah. You want them to be on it. If something's not right with the beer, they should be waving the red flag first and bringing that to Govzi's attention straight away so that it can be dealt with before it becomes an issue where consumers are going, oh, this isn't right. Um, and then being able to articulate what's wrong with the product if there is something wrong. Um, uh, not just saying, is this beer okay? Oh, there seems to be something wrong and you can't really describe what it is, but you know there's something wrong. Yeah. The, the panellists that we're training up will be able to say, oh, there's a little bit of diastole in this beer. That's not true to brand. That's not right. And then Govzi can go, cool. And he can actually organise for that to be put in front of a panel under a blind setting and actually see if people do detect it. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so basically what it does is it creates data for Govzi or any head brewer um, to be able to make process improvements to the beer. So, for example, you're going to be testing, you know, you, you've now got a beer retention library. So every time you package beer into a can, 
it's it's being stored and labelled. And then so uh, Lockie brings it out of the library and puts it in front of the um, panel at, at regular intervals. And so we can actually ch- collect this data and chart how the beer is faring over time. And then Govzi can look at this data and go, oh, yeah, okay, so the hop aroma is like dropping off, uh, you know, pretty quickly. So he can go, right, well, let's try X. Mm. And then he can see over time whether there's improvements to the products. And that all comes back to this continuous improvement kind of thing where it's just like you're you're collecting data, you're making decisions, and you're slowly, slowly improving your beer. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. I I think the sensory program is a good example too of I think sometimes this quality stuff can be a bit daunting for smaller brewers. I know when yeah. we were, when we were starting out, this was the furthest thing from our mind. I mean, we wanted to yes. make quality beer, but having a quality system when we were literally, you know, making the occasional keg was not something we were thinking about. No, and and quite often when small brewers start out, they're not thinking about that. Yeah. Um, and when you are much smaller and your distribution footprint is very close to the brewery, the four walls of the brewery, you don't really have to worry about it. Um, but, you know, this is one of the challenges of growth is that, um, you know, now that the beer has to be more hardy because it's being put on a truck and sent to Sydney and Melbourne and Perth and wherever it's going and that sort of thing, it's got to survive that. And yeah. um, by having the sensory program as part of that, not only can you make sure that the beer leaves the brewery in tip-top nick, but it also means that Govzi, someone like Govzi has the data at hand to be able to track things, how they progress over time to make them better and make the shelf life last longer. Yeah, basically. or you might even use that to decide how long you want the shelf life to be. Indeed, that's a, that's certainly another way that you can do it. So every every head brewer has the challenge of, um, you know, having to put a date on that where they, they think that the beer tastes as good as what it do- did when it left the brewery. And, you know, that's a, you can't just pull those numbers out of thin air mm. and you especially can't pull those numbers out of thin air when you're dealing with the major supermarkets, you yeah. know, like Dan Murphy's because they've got minimum requirements around best before dates. And Gubsy's job has become so much more complex now because now he's got this way, way out uh, best before date that he now has to hit and make sure that the beer is good. And that's tough. Mm. It's tough to, 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 to make that happen. But the process of collecting data is, um, is the first step on making those improvements. That way you're just not, you know, blindly making a stab in the dark about what's going to happen and that sort of thing. Um, and the good thing is about this, this sensory program that, that we've been working on is it's actually really easy to implement. Even if you're a small brewery, like you can have this up and running in properly in terms of like not only training your, your panelists, but also testing your beers in about four weeks. Right. And that, that's actually, that was the point I was going to make about if you're a smaller brewery thinking about quality, this is a really good thing to do because yeah. it's A, it's fun. It's fun. The staff it's, really like it. Yep. It's educational. It's easy to do. Oh, mate, today's session was so much fun. Like it was f- more people at today's, you know, faults and flavors session than any of the other sessions that, that we'd run so far. And it was fun. Everyone was just, they were serious when they were tasting the beers. They were, they were everyone's trying really hard now not to distract each other yeah. so that, you know, that, that, that everyone can learn and, and that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, it's and, and at the end of it, when we're having a talk about what the faults and flavors were, we're having a laugh, a bit of banter, and we're enjoying beer. Yeah. You know, it's so cool. It's bloody hard too. So it's a good good challenge. I find it very, very hard. Well, the thing is, it's the, the, the thing that would get you to become a good panelist is I think you've only done one or two, I've done s- two. sessions, right? Yeah, two. So it's practice. And if you do faults and flavors sessions frequently, right it's like riding a bike you know you've got to practice in order to get good at something and that's how this program is structured so that you know we're doing it at the moment we're doing it once a week that could feasibly be more frequently if you chose to do it but once a week's a good 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 place to start and when you practice you'll actually get better and it'll 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 really pop some of the staff here um it's like it's like i've i've, I've given them a hammer and everything's a bloody nail now with them, you know. So, like, you know, we do like a session. There was diacetyl, and every bloody beer tastes like diacetyl yeah. now. And and so, and that's a good thing. And I don't discourage, you know, 
staff and panelists and that sort well, of thing. At least they're thinking about it. Now. At, but that's exactly the point, right? Is that they're thinking about it and and they're thinking about the beer that they're tasting and they're going, right? Is this something? They're not thinking, is there something wrong? They're thinking, is this something that that our consumers, our customers, our loyal customers, want to continue to drink mm. and buy again and again and again? And yeah. so yeah, it's pretty cool. Very cool. You, let's just dig back into the recall thing because that's yes. an interesting one. Can we just spend a few minutes on talking about what a recall policy might look like? Yeah. Uh, so when you recall uh, beer from the market or you know any food and that sort of thing, there's uh, two types of recall that you can do. Uh, the first type is a product pullback and the second type is an actual recall. Yep. So a pullback is, for instance... Uh, let's say you got a batch of beer and it's no longer become true to brand, like it might have aged not particularly well, it might have been a bit of dissolved oxygen during canning or something like that. It's just not something you want to sell because consumers won't like it. Yeah. Um, then you do what's called a pullback. So in that case, the beer is safe, it just doesn't taste it's great. Exactly, and that's the difference between a pullback and a recall. A recall is when there's a public health Right. safety issue and that might be something like uh, there might be a pathogen in the product that can make people sick there might be some cleaning chemicals that might have leached into the potentially leached into the product or it might be something like exploding um, you know cans and kegs and my advice to those brewers out there who are involved in either a pullback or recall um, situation is firstly have a plan um, because you just you just need when when shit's going down you've just got to be able to follow the bouncing ball and there's lots of things that you need to go through um and the secondly is own your message right don't sweep it under the carpet don't try and hide the fact that you've had an issue you'll do more damage to your brand trying to hide a potential issue especially if it's a public health and safety issue um you need to be on the front foot with regards to your message and your communication to the public when something goes down. And there's a couple of really good examples of, you know, product recalls having occurred where brands have actually been lifted right, because they've owned the situation, right? They're, because if you own the situation and go, guys, we've got this issue with these cans, we, we think they might be overcarbonating and there might be a bit of a risk to, um, you know, them exploding and injuring someone – Rather than sort of leave them out on the market, we're just going to proactively recall them and that sort of thing. Um, we're sorry if you've got it, you know, take it to your nearest place of purchase. We'll give you a refund. All those things need a plan, right. you know, and um, and so that's part of your quality manual that we're working on at the moment. Yeah. It's, it's actually, it's, the funny thing is the whole quality manual is dry and boring as batshit, but it's actually really good for your brand to actually have one. Mm. Yeah, you like to think that the average consumer knows that, something can go wrong but if you're admitting it and you know owning it as opposed to ignoring it i I can think of a few examples where where um beers have exploded and the response from the not so much from the company but response from people around the company has been like oh you know that they've sorted incorrectly and left it left it well that's that that, that, that can hurt the brand exactly the 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 last thing you want to do you know let's say it's an exploding you know bottle or can situation that sort of thing you can't be out there as the brand owner and saying in the brand message sorry guys that's not our fault that's that's how the product was stored um you know that's that's like wiping your hand you know brushing your hands of, of of the situation yeah um you know, because at the end of the day, if the product wasn't stored properly, well, that's on you as the brand to communicate to your retailers and your supply and your supply chain that sort of thing. So as long as it's in your custodianship, or even training your retailers to say, you know, this is how we say you should store the product. Yeah. You know, you can't do anything once people buy it and go stick it in a hot garage in the middle of summer. No, you can educate people to But for the most extent, part, you know, you, part of your message is we love our beer. We want you to love it, love our beer as well. Here's how you do it, yeah. um, you know. But at the end of the day as well, you know, we're, uh, brewers, we're food manufacturers and nothing in manufacturing is ever 100% certain. And, you know, there'll be a time in the future where, um, in, in every brewery's future, where, where there'll be a, you, you'll have to deal with a recall situation. Right. It's not pleasant. But if you have a plan, you can just deal with it. So the things that you and I have been working on is, um, and also, um, incidentally, I would say, go to the IBA website. They've got 
like a template for product recall. Right. Is that something um, they make available publicly or just to members? Yeah, it's, it's, it's for members, but they they just give it out publicly. Okay. Yeah. Same as with the beer labeling guidelines. Yeah, the thing labeling stuff sort of thing, is really good. Which was really good. So, um, you know, I, I love the IBA and the work that they do. Um, and go and use that or, you know, if you want to take it a step further, if you're going into the majors and you do need a more comprehensive plan, um, get in touch with me if you want to do something like that. You know, so your recall plan is not only, doesn't only cover sort of how you actually recover all of the product, um, uh, but it also covers uh, how you communicate it um, uh, to the public, um, how you deal with your retailers, um, how you uh, also deal with any government authorities if there is a public health issue. So, right. Yeah. Okay, um, I've got a couple of other things that are, I guess, tangential to this, but I thought might make you can go tangential <laughs> as you want. <laughs> interesting conversation points. Um, yesterday, I I did a podcast with Jamie Cook, which was great in um, down in Byron at Stone and Wood. Cool. One thing he said to me, which kind of surprised me a little bit, not maybe reading too much into it, but but he did say in the early days, they 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 were really really careful with what they spent money on, and that included equipment and lab equipment and everything else yes. they were super super careful yes um what I, I guess one thing we're struggling with at the same time is like we, we don't have enough money we never have yes. enough money no no one in this industry has mm, enough money mm. so how do you decide you know what because a lot of this quality stuff does come down to being able to test and measure things with equipment yes so ha- so do you have any pointers around you know how do you decide what you spend money on and, and what you don't yeah look you know um having a quality program and quality process isn't expensive at all you've just got to sit down and write down what it is that you do and you know that doesn't cost anything um you know you 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 can take it a step further if you want to get some guidance around writing it yourself you know you can I, i can help you with that and i have online training that can help you with that and it's really cost effective when it comes to things like uh you know building a lab um you don't need to spend a lot of money on a lab. You just want to be, if, you, if you're starting out and you want to start a quality program where you're just measuring things, the first three things, I call it the sacred trilogy, is gravity, uh, temperature, and pH. Right. Are the things that you should be measuring to start with. And most brewers have, are doing that already. But then the next step is actually writing it down and collecting the data and storing it and being able to look back on it, right? And that's not expensive, you know. There's systems like Beer 30 out there that are pretty cost-effective that give you that. And all of a sudden, you've just gotten a little bit better. Yep. Then when it actually comes time to, um, you know, build a lab, lots of people think they need a really expensive lab with hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I've, I've created a course that um, gives brewers the tools to be able to measure um, gravity, temperature, and pH and have a really basic micro program. So counting yeast cells and being able to detect lactobacillus and pediococcus uh, medium and actually do all of those things for less than $3,000 Australian. Right. All right. And that includes like an Anton Parr density meter, like the little easy dens that, that, um, that you can get from, you know, online and that sort of thing. Um, and a, a microscope that you can get from eBay, yeah. um, you know, all those things, $3,000 literally, and you can have an incubator. You can be doing, you can be testing for lactonpedia, you can be counting yeast cells, you can be accurately measuring gravity and temperature and pH and making quality beer. That's a great start. Um, and then once you go beyond that, you know, the, the, the journey, um, you know, goes to then you want to go out and go and buy some more expensive uh, lab equipment. And it depends upon, there's a lot of ways you can go and it depends upon where you're at in your journey because there's a number of different paths you can take. So, you know, take you guys for instance, right? You're now in the business scenario of distributing your beer interstate. So you want to make sure that the shelf stability is good. So sensory becomes a part of that and that's not expensive to, to, to set up um, and then, um, you know, a basic microbiological program comes into play. Now, let's say you can't afford the lab equipment and incubators and all that sort of stuff. Well, I've got a 
bloody a lab that you can use and you can send your samples off to and have it outsourced yeah. you know and it's not expensive either it's like 25 dollars for an ibu test it's Forty dollars to have lacto and 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 um, and PDO microbiological test, and that includes the the postage for the sample to the lab and the tube that you put it in. You know that's included. So I don't want to be in a, a, a hendo ad or anything like that. But you know you can use an outsourced lab, um, and then when you're ready, you can then go and buy all the equipment from the reputable suppliers uh, and go and 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 um, and start to bring all of that in house. But probably from a chemical perspective, probably one of the first things that you would want to bring in-house would be uh, being able to me- measure dissolved oxygen um, uh, with what with what is called a low-range DO, DO meter. Yeah. If you're uh, packaging? If you, well, even, you can do kegs and that sort of thing as right. well. You can even do beer in process. Um, and in fact, you should because you want to measure when you do something to the beer, have I had an effect on the dissolved oxygen of the beer? Let's say you move it from a fermenter to a bright beer tank. Right. Is that bright beer tank free of oxygen to be able to, um, uh, you know, to, to not damage the product? And when I move the beer, are all of the you know, clamps done up tight so there's no oxygen ingress. Yeah. The tolerance to dissolved oxygen in beer is minuscule, absolutely minuscule. We're talking parts per billion um, and that there's there's very little room for error yeah. um, in regards to that. But dissolved oxygen is going to be one of those things that um, will have the biggest impact to your product once you have that information at hand. Mm. Um, you know, and Govs was a classic example. I, I think they bought like a, a Beverly or something like that and you've had it for a little while now. And he was like, as soon as I had that, I could see where the oxygen was entering the product and I could deal with it. And, you know, I was just up at Black Ops 2 just now and he's pulling sub 40 PPBs yep. in cans. And that's phenomenal numbers. That's absolutely amazing numbers. And that means the outcome of that is that that beer on a shelf in a bottle shop in Melbourne is going to taste almost as good as what it would be if you come and bought it from the tap, tap room here. Yeah. I say almost, but as good right. as you'll get it, taking right. into account the fact that it's been on a truck. You right. Know? Well, I mean, the alternative is, is that it really does taste quite awful if you've got, if you got yeah. beers that are full of DO. Yeah, dissolved oxygen is very damaging to beer. Like, the, the, there, are, there are enemies to beer quality. Uh, you know, uh, light, or UV light, heat, dissolved oxygen... Um, uh, time, mm. um, you know, they're 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 really the 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 main enemies of beer quality. And uh, just on that one, just the the heat one, I, I wanted to ask you about this. Um, the issue of pasteurization seems to be coming up a lot more. Yeah. Um, people, people like drinkers seem to hate the idea. It always comes up as a, I drink craft beer because it's not pasteurized, as if pasteurization is an evil thing. Yeah. And you've just said heat is. Bad for beer, which correct, which pasteurization. Well, heat, they're they're related, so heat and time. Yeah, um, you know, are, are detrimental to, to, to beer, just like it is for milk, right? So the milk that you buy is pasteurized, right? But it's still living because if I took a carton of milk that I bought at the supermarket, and, and you know, it's got a best before date of like ten days from now or something like that. If I put that bottle of milk in the carton of milk in the fridge. Um, it's going to last those 10 days, right? But if I stuck that same carton of milk out in the car park here in the hot sun, how long would it last? Half a day? Maybe tops, you know? Um, So, yes, heat is bad. Uh, It it does have a negative impact on beer and even pasteurisation, there is a negative impact on it. Mm. But then you've got to balance that with the longer shelf life that you get from pasteurisation. So... Pasteurization, for those who don't know, is basically uh, a way in which beer is heated and then cooled rapidly uh, to kill any microbial um, spoilage organisms that might be in the beer. Uh, and also things like uh, you know enzymes as well, like things like dry hop creep are actually dealt with through pasteurization. And pasteurization can be done in a number of different ways. You can pasteurize in a bottle or can in like that's called a tunnel tunnel pasteurization basically you walk the can the walk cans walk down a conveyor belt in a tunnel have hot hot and then cold water sprayed on them Mm. um and then that's pasteurized in in pack and then the other way that they do it is flash pasteurization is Mm. basically it's a series of 
heat exchangers with either cold beer, hot water or hot beer and cold glycol yep. where the beer is heated and cooled really rapidly. And so, um, you know, without going opening up, going down that rabbit hole of pasteurization, pasteurization isn't a yes and no thing. It's not, it's pasteurized or it's not. There's actually a unit of measure around pasteurization. It's called a PU, a pasteurization unit. Um, and, you know, beer is generally pasteurized at around anywhere from 5 to 25 PUs. Um, whereas, you know, milk and juices and all that sort of thing can be pasteurized in the hundreds of PUs. Mm. Um, and so there's different degrees of pasteurization. You can actually effectively pasteurize beer at sort of five to eight PUs. And some of the, you know, the, there are people out there who are drinking really good hoppy yet pasteurized beers that don't even know it. Right. Right, uh, done properly. You know, yeah. it, it's a really good tool. So, so do, you think, do you think more breweries will do that? Because I don't know of too many that do. No, it's to pasteurize. There's like there's like I said, there's a couple of ways you can do it. The equipment is quite expensive. Mm. Um, you know, I've got a client in Mexico who actually puts his beer in a bottle and he has these three baths and a stopwatch. Wow, and and he and like the chain lifters where you have to pull a, <laughs> pull a thing, and then all the bottles come out of these trays and that sort of thing, and um, you know he that's how he pasteurizes, and that's a very low cost uh, mm. solution, very labor intensive as well. Um, whereas I've worked in breweries that have had tunnel pasteurization and also flash pasteurization. Mm. Um, you know, f- if I was building a brewery and I had an unlimited budget and I had to choose which form of pasteurization that I would do, it would be flash any any day of the week. Flash, flash as opposed to none? Uh, or would flash as opposed to tunnel. Right, but, yeah. if, but if you could choose not to pasteurize, what would you? Uh, I, I would do everything that I possibly could in my power not to pasteurize the product, but I'm also not anti-pasteurization. Mm. So I'd have to weigh up as a, as a as a brewer. I have to weigh up the considerations of the product, making sure that the consumers are having a good experience with the product. And if that means that the beer has to be pasteurized to ensure that the consumers continue to have a good uh, experience with the product, uh, then I would choose to do that if I had the budget. You right. Know? Um, and like I said, even some of the most hoppy IPAs and that sort of thing from brands that that the punters are out there drinking and they know and they love are pasteurized and yeah. they don't even know it. Yeah, interesting. I, I was talking to, we got the guys from Felons came down to, brew, to uh, Black Ops 2 the other day and the brewer who was from Little Creatures was saying that, and I didn't know much about the way Little Creatures brew, yep. but he was saying all their beers, none of their beers were pasteurized yes. and they were bottle conditioned Yes, and they were doing... I think tw- up to 25 million litres a year or something, something yeah. absurd. Yeah, so, yeah, so, um, you know, little creatures don't pasteurise. Um, and uh, so what they would be doing is they would be using yeast in the bottles to clean up oxygen and also to be the dominant microbial uh, organism and also to set the conditions around the beer itself, so around pH and, 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 and that sort of thing to make sure that they're microbial stable as well as chemically stable right um so like i said you know you you you've got choices as Mm. as a brewery and as a brewer as to how you actually deal with um shelf life because that's what pasteurization is about yeah it's dealing with the issue of extending the shelf life so that the beer continues to be as good as what the brewer says it's going to be for the entirety until it's best before time yeah right now, if little creatures have worked out a way to to achieve that outcome without pasteurization, great, good on them. Right? Yeah, I thought it was, I was actually surprised. Uh, do you think there'd be other breweries that scale not pasteurizing? Uh, Coopers, okay, yeah, and they did the same thing. Bottle, yeah, bottle same, condition, same sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yep. So it's live wow. yeast in a in a Coopers bottle. You know, it's um, um, you know, but there's a lot of beers out there that are really well-known craft brands and making hoppy beers that are pasteurized mm. you know it's it shouldn't be a secret it's just it's just a, a you know the the negative connotations from pasteurization i think come from beer geeks when they get into craft beer and they go i don't drink mainstream lager anymore because mainstream lager it's all the preservatives, preservatives and pasteurized and, yeah. and all that yeah. sort of bollocks and it's like 
um, you know, that's that's not for me. Pasteurization, that's yeah, not for me. Yeah. And it gives them hangovers. From a <laughs> you know, all that sort of thing. So but but as a from a brewer's perspective and a brewing business owner's perspective, what is more important is making sure that the beer looks and smells and tastes as it should for the entirety of its shelf life until that time when that best before date rolls around. Yeah. So we're back to the true to brand and, and how Indeed. if you get to that kind of scale, can you achieve that best with yeah. something like pasteurizing or, or something else? And, and there's, as we've just shown, there's lots of ways you can achieve it and each brewery is going to have their own path on that, you know? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Um, that's probably enough for this episode. Just, um, did you have anything you wanted to plug? You obviously do a lot of work with breweries in, in yeah, this area. Yeah, absolutely, and overseas as well. Yep. So, um, for those who don't know, since we, we last talked on the, the the Operation Brewery podcast in Series 2, um, you know, I now run a company called Rockstar Brewer. So, I do uh, training. Uh, so, a lot of online education. There's a lot of online courses about beer quality management. Uh, I do... Um, uh, consulting, one-on-one consulting and coaching, that can be on-site. But I also do a lot of that via video conference as well. So I was literally on video conference to client in Mexico this morning, um, you know, talking about different things. And and um, uh, all of my clients get together online once a month and we have a video conference and record it and I upload it in the, in the private members area. I do lab services and I'm also the brand ambassador for Australia and New Zealand for Beer 30 brewery management software. So right. it's a pretty eclectic business, but it is all focused around th- all things beer quality. So um, if you are a brewer and you are looking to enhance your beer quality, and we all are, um, hit me up uh, and let's talk. Sounds good. And, and we've been using Beer 30. That, those guys are absolute weapons. They're, they don't they're sleep. A, a great, they they're do not sleep. On, they're always on WhatsApp. <laughs> I, d- I had to get off the app so I can get all the messages. It was getting out of control, but those guys are amazing. Um, and you're putting out a bunch of content at the moment as well. Yeah, so absolutely. So YouTube is where I'm at. So just follow Rockstar or subscribe to Rockstar Brewer on YouTube. Uh, I'm doing a new video every Friday uh, at the moment. And it's just me just in a fake brewery on a green screen. And I'm just having a chat about a different technical topic. And I'm responding to questions that people in the community are asking. So uh, that's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying that. Brilliant. Sounds good. Thanks, Hendo. It's been good to have you back on the podcast. Cheers. Good to be back. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Hendo. I certainly enjoy chatting to him any chance I get and uh, always learn something. So hope you enjoyed it and I'll see you guys next week on Operation Brewery.